Hey everybody! Thanks for listening to On The Podcast, a short episode format podcast to give you something to do while you kill time doing your business on the pot. Or maybe you listen to a podcast episode and they left you hanging. <laughs> and now you've got a week with time to kill and only time to kill. <laughs> so take your time, go back to the start of our episodes and listen all the way through because by the time you get back to where we are, it'll have been a week. There's a lot of different content in there. so A lot yeah. of different content. It'll make you happy. It'll make you sad. It'll make you think. It'll make you confused. <laughs> <laughs> you'll laugh. You'll cry. You'll be like, why do I still listen to this? <laughs> <laughs> it's addicting. It is. It is. <laughs> I'm Liz. And I'm Katie. Hi, Liz. Hey, Katie. Uh, I would say, what are we talking about today? But I know we're in part two of this horrifyingly depressing story. Yeah. If you've been having a good day, you won't anymore. You're about to get depressed. (laughs) Look, this is a story of sadness, heartbreak, and also perseverance. So let's... I don't want to... I wouldn't want to persevere in this situation. I would not want to. I'm not into it. Kill me early. (laughs) Well, you might not want to be killed early. Let's talk about the miracle of the Andes. So I left you where uh, the plane had just crashed. Pilot is dead. Co-pilot's begging that somebody kill him. At this point, we're down to 33 passengers. Many were critically injured. uh, And there were two medical students on board. Ooh, they were lucky, man. Lucky or unlucky, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, so Roberto Canessa... Uh, was one of these medical students. He'll come into play many times later. Okay, Roberto. Remember Roberto him. Canessa, or just remember Canessa. And Gustavo Zerbino. So they checked kind of the severity of everybody's wounds and treated what they could. Uh, there was a passenger named Parado, who will be important later as well, who actually had a, had a skull fracture and was in a coma for three days. Isn't that crazy? In a coma yeah. on the side of this mountain? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and bear in mind, so this is October, which would be fall our time um spring down in argentina chile but it's like you know early spring in eleven thousand uh feet elevation so it's cold yeah freezing yeah so a lot of people had broken limbs and essentially the people who any of the people who had compound fractures didn't survive which makes sense Mm -hmm. because blood out yeah blood out it gets infected things like that so the Chilean Air Search and Rescue Service, SARS, ooh, ooh. change oh, your name. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, uh, were notified within hours of the crash going down, and they started out searching. Now, they ended up actually uh, searching in the wrong area, because, again, the air traffic control thought they were in one space, as did mm-hmm. the co-pilot, so they didn't really see anybody. So after eight days of searching, rescue efforts were actually called off. And they were hoping that they would pick up again once the weather got warmer in December. Now, let's talk about the first week. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's just going to go down from here. Yeah. Well, down and then up, just like a mountain. Okay. Um, Okay. So within the first night, five people died, including the co-pilot. The surviving 28 ended up removing the broken seats and other debris to build like a shelter out of what was left of the plane. Mm-hmm. Now our friend uh, Parado woke up from his coma and found that his mother and 19 year old sister, that his mother had died and that his 19 year old sister was severely injured mm. and he tried to keep her alive. But after eight days she ended up succumbing to her injuries and yeah. died. 
They had um, freezing cold nights that would get down to negative 22 degrees. Oh, yuck. And, yeah, and this whole team all lived near the ocean in warm weather, so they had they weren't prepared for this type of weather. Oh. A lot of them had never seen snow before. They weren't packed for... They didn't have, like, you know, their, their luggage didn't have any warm clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have a ton of medical supplies, so they were kind of... Uh, they were kind of screwed. <laughs> so they did find a transistor radio, and one of the passengers um, hooked an electrical cable to it to send out... Um, no, you know, a message out to whoever was listening about uh, the fact that they were still alive. And what they ended up hearing on that radio was that the search, that the search had been suspended and that everybody was assumed dead. That's horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that is like no hope. You I have know. zero hope at that I point. I know. Ugh. So, so upon this, like obviously um, morale was super low and one of the passengers basically shouted back at them. The, the sad people. <laughs> um, that's great news. They think we're dead. Why would that be good news? Exactly. Why would that be good news? Exactly. Somebody asked that. He said, because that means we're getting out of here on our own. Meaning they're going to forge for it. They're going to act. They're going to get out. They're going to make so, a like, way for no, themselves. So no hope turns into we're doing it, we're bitches. Doing it. Yep. yep. So <laughs> it, did, it did actually like help out. Um, they had very little food, obviously. They had eight chocolate bars, a tin of mussels, a tin of almonds, candies, some dried plums, uh, jam, some dates, and several bottles of wine. And so obviously that, you know, they rationed it out as much as they could. Mm-hmm. However, um, the food dwindled pretty quickly. Prado said that he ate one single chocolate-covered peanut over three days. A peanut over three days? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So it, so Would the that food, actually do anything? That wouldn't do anything. Probably not much. It maybe just like keeps your energy for like, I don't even know. <laughs> they had had conversations about um, eating bodies and an, uh, an, pretty much all of the survivors had said, if I die, you, ha- you can eat my body. Yeah. They gave everybody the permission. Now, mind you, there was a lot of like wrestling back and forth. Not any, nobody was like, let's do this. So, <laughs> so did they have fire? Uh yeah, they had they had fire somewhere. At some point they had fire. I don't know if they okay. got I'll, I'll I'll explain this. I don't know if they had fire early on, so. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of these people were super religious and they thought like they'd be, you know, damned. Yeah. They'd be damned to eternal hell forever Damned if for you do, people. damned if you don't. Yeah. And and so it was just, <laughs> you know, rough. yeah, so they wrestled with it for days. And then finally, one of them was like, look, this is essentially like eating the sacrament. So like, we have to do what we have to do. And so they decided that they were going to eat the bodies of some of their classmates and relatives. Um, Now, mind you, Parado made sure that his mother and sister's body was not eaten. But they went to their uh, basically frozen um, companions, their frozen dead companions, and uh, Kinesa, the medical student, started cutting um, flesh off of their body. Frozen flesh. They also said that, like, you know, it was hard to eat. Oh, I'm sure it was. Um, oh, but again, did they cook it? I, again, all I, all I know of this first part is that it's pretty much just, like, frozen meat at this point. Frozen meat, frozen flesh. <laughs> At this point, they're on day 17, and an avalanche hits. Oh, well, you're kidding me. They nope. can't get a break. Nope. 
an avalanche oh. hits the aircraft and it fills the it fills the fuselage it fills where they're at eight people end up dying um they basically like they're packed in and one of the one of the people realizes what's happening and they're able to basically drill a hole out of this snowpack and get some actual ventilation in now a few days prior to the avalanche there had been conversation about hiking over the mountains to get out that that was going to be their only way to get out of there which makes sense. But again, they didn't know where they were. So they thought that they were going to just walk a few, um, a few miles West and they'd find, uh, they'd be in Chile. However, they were actually five fifty-five miles East in the deep Andes. So they decided that just a few members were going to go out and find help. Man, I, I, I can't, I literally can't even imagine being in a situation like this where you're like, trapped desperate snowstorm your friends are dead your family's dead like then you have to think about eating them it'd be awful you're, you're not sleeping well things are weird like i just i can't even imagine and so it became knessa parado and Vizentin, who were the strongest and because of that they were given more food and more warm clothes yeah now in this time um on november 15th um, another person died, and then three days later, uh, Rafael Echevarren died um, from gangrene, and then Turricotti, the guy who had that sep- um, sepsis, also died as well. Yeah. And he died on the 60th day. The 60th day, December oh, 11th. that. Weighing 55 pounds. No. Canessa was still hesitant, but Parado finally convinced Canessa that they just have to go. They have to. There's no other choice. Mm-hmm. So the three men again headed out on December 12th. The oxygen is thin in the air. Um, at certain points, they were up to their hips in snow. You know, it's bitter cold. Well, and the, the crazy thing, too, is that, like, from the crash site, all of the other remaining survivors could see the ridge that these guys are hiking up. So they can watch, they, they're watching their journey this Yikes. whole time. Uh, and it, again, happened for three days. Um, Knessa said that one of the fir- one of the nights was one of the- was his worst night ever of his life. Uh. On the third morning, Knessa stayed back at the camp, and the other two reached uh, the base where, hooray, they've made it! Um, it's a snow, it's snow and ice. They get up to the top. They say, "Look, we're gonna we're gonna hike out of this, or we're gonna die trying." That's kind of what just kept getting them going. Yeah, uh, at least I'm going. They finally get to the top and all they see is more mountain peaks. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like the, oh. the bear climbed over the mountain, all that he could see. So they know where they are. So they are backtracking. So they head back to the air, tra- the aircraft and they end up making a makeshift sleigh to help them get down this mountain <laughs> out of a, out of a seat from the airplane. So they get down and they agree that they're going to head West. Parado and Kness ended up hiking for several more days. They reach a narrow valley uh, and eventually they reach the snow line where there seem to be more signs of human presence, uh, where they find evidence of camping. Finally, nine days later, they see some cows. And as they're walking along, they suddenly see um, these men on the other side of a river. And they're like waving them down like, hey, we need to talk to you. We need to communicate. And one of the men says, tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I will talk to you tomorrow, bud. It's cool. So they end up writing this this message on a piece of paper and attaching it to a rock and throwing it across the river to these guys. On the message it said, I come from a I come from a plane that fell in the mountains. I'm Uruguayan. 
We've been walking for 10 days. I have a wounded friend up there. In the plane, there are 14, there are still 14 injured. We have to get out of here quickly, and we don't know how. We don't have any food. We are weak. When are you going to fetch us? Please, we cannot walk. Where are we? So this guy is named Sergio Catalan. He reads the note. He understands. He tells the two other men that he's there that um, he remembers this conversation about this plane going down in the Andes. Mm -hmm. So he throws them some bread, and they uh, head westward 10 hours to bring help. 10 hours? It was still 10 hours? For for these guys that rescued them to go find somebody to bring them help. Yep. They end up going to this village called Puente Negro, um, where they relay the message to the Chilean army about who these people are. And um, Parado and Canessa are then brought on horseback back to this town where they're fed and kind of told of what happens. And they explain to um, the Chilean Air Force what where who they are what's going on where these people are they say hey we're going to take you back out to this area so you know who these people are because of the the area the helicopter was only able to land on like one leg they reached them on december 22nd and they were only able to take about half of the survivors back so one of the rescue parties actually stayed with um the other survivors through the night and then in the next morning the remainder of the people were um, rescued out of there on December 23rd, 1972. Yikes. When, when October, what did this start? It was 72 oh. days. Yeah, 72 days. Now, of course, they had, a, you know, a variety of conditions, uh, altitude sickness, dehydration, frostbite, broken bones, scurvy, and malnutrition. And here we are more than two months after the, the crash, and everybody has been picked up. So, of course, they return home, and uh, obviously, somebody starts to speculate that there's the only way they could have survived is through cannibalism. They get, you know, they get flack for that, but then they basically explain, like, this is what happened. Yeah, the we survivors, didn't The survivors had said that we could eat them. Um, the remaining bodies that were up there ended up being buried. They brought a priest out there to basically, you know... Um, have a service for these remaining bodies which is just so crazy but wow 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 what a tumultuous journey i can't imagine i literally can't even fathom what that must have been like isn't that crazy and you can't come back to normal life after that you can't what does life look like after that i don't even know i don't even know isn't that wild yes weird wild wacky stuff i think i think more than anything the fact that there were, you know, 16 survivors after being out in these insane conditions oh, yeah. for 72 days is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yikes. That's all I could say. Yikes. Yikes. Anyway. All right. <laughs> cool. Uh, I don't want to say cool. Very fascinating, really scary stuff. Thanks, Liz. You're so welcome. So what's that inside of my body? Scurvy, I think. And not somebody else. Sadness. Depression. Hey, they survived. Ooh, man, they survived. All right. So see you next time. Yeah. Yeah, you will. <laughs> <laughs>